This is Tom from Third Rail Design Lab. And Chris from Deeply Dapper. And it's time to... That's where we just do the full... Like it's Game of Thrones, but it's also our... Yes, all of the above. All those things. Release the... Kraken! How are you doing? Hey, uh, we're surviving. How about you? Uh, the same. We have pretty much the same weather, right? You in Idaho and me in Northern California. Yes, precisely the same, except yours sucks. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's just, I felt like that was unfair. It was hurtful. I do feel like you have some benefits, but they're outweighed by the negatives and the extreme cost of those benefits. What are my benefits? Uh, I don't know flowers <laughs> no snow is that a benefit i don't know i don't know because i like i like snow personally but there are those that are wrong that do not i i remember snow it was cool i mean it was cold but it was also cool <laughs> it is cool and cold at the same time somehow <laughs> i'm not super into the fact that you can't use your art studio for five months or whatever it is that's the yeah theoretically if we get around to actually getting the money and insulating it this year like we hope to uh that should turn it into more of just a couple of months i can't use it when it's like negative degrees all year all day round all day round is that a way to talk yes all day round it seems like an internet style of talking like the kids do Uh, yes i like like those kids uh, i like northern california um snow experiences which are like tahoe so you have a uh a cabin and cocktails probably fondue pots and a roaring fire and the snow's outside and it's very comfortable sweaters that sounds like a california thing that sounds yeah. exactly yeah. like a california thing yeah yeah pretty much pretty much the ex- the improved version of what you were describing that's just the lodge experience <laughs> so here we are. Uh, once again, we recorded you and I not one week ago, uh, or actually less than a week ago. No, yeah, more than a week ago. It was either <laughs> before. No <laughs> it was before or less than a week ago. Um, and we were talking about the first se- uh, season eight episode of Game of Thrones. Yes, time um, is relative in Westeros. It is, and uh, we're doing our best. To- lots of things are relative in Westeros. That's right. <laughs> Yeah. And so we're gonna, we're trying our best to have some discussions about this in a timely fashion. Um, and you saw I got the last episode up in only four days, so that's yeah. <laughs> it launched. Record. It launched on uh, on um, Western uh, Easter. It's when no one could hear it. <laughs> but <laughs> Westeros on Easterist. That's right. Um, in that, in the span of the time since we last talked, um, two things happened. One, uh, I watched Infinity War again, as I had sworn to do, because I wanted to see if I would have a different experience uh, the second time than I did the first time. Did you like it the first time? I did, but I was burdened roll tape to our previous <laughs> discussions. Um, you know, I was I was burdened by the overwhelming awareness of the construct of it, right? 
the inevitability yeah. of what was going to happen and the broadcasting of it through the trailers and the uh, comfort level I had in the idea that everyone was going to die. And it just, it was about how it was going to happen, but not what was going to happen. And right. So, because we all knew that they were all going to come back anyway. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and it just felt the first time I saw it, I didn't even feel like there was much of a linear progression either. It just felt like a series of, of, um, I don't know, just uh, hopeless scenes. So it was, yeah, it was set pieces more than anything. Yes, yes. And so this time, watching it right on the on the um, on the cusp of seeing the new one, I was inspired because I really love, as we've talked about, how much the uh, marketing for Endgame has used ten minutes of the film or twenty minutes of the film only, and we really don't know going in if we didn't read uh, spoilers online. We don't know what's going to happen. And, right. it's op- and it feels much more um, open in terms of opportunity. It seems, yeah, I guess that. Yeah, it seems more like we have an, um, a better chance of being surprised and delighted and having an emotional resonance to it. Because it's going to feel, even the emotional beats will feel more genuine. Because we don't have an, we don't have an endgame following the endgame, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so re-watching it, um, I will just say... Um, that uh, I liked it a lot more. Hmm. I, I was able to um, enjoy it for what it was in a different way. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, a couple of things in particular, I, I some of the same things bothered me, like, you know, how the uh, the, the bugaboos going around the back of the Wakandan's uh, energy sphere was supposedly a problem. <laughs> you know? Yeah. There's a few things like that. But I, the things I liked originally, I liked even more. Like, I really hmm. liked the Black Order even more this viewing than I did the last viewing. The Black um, Order. I can't that think. I think that's what they call Thanos' guard, you know, his people. Oh, his yeah, those guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, uh, I appreciated... I think I appreciated some of the emotional reactions that characters did that fucked things up um, in a different way than the first time when it just felt like, oh, you guys really... You know, you you couldn't be strategic and you lost everything. This time right. I felt I felt the desperation in them a little bit more. So I was a little bit more forgiving of their choices, even though they were still failures. Such as, you know, the Star Lord and Thor making those grievous errors. Um, right. Lastly, um, I was and this relates to my item number two, but lastly I was focused a lot on Thanos and the effects, right? Mm-hmm. I still think that that is the gold standard for integrating a human actor into a CGI construct and making it feel like it's the greater of both of those things. I think that's fair. Yeah. Um, he, he, I, I liked it even more this time when I could kind of really focus on the detail in his face and the nuance of his expression shifting and the little things he was doing. I still felt, as with all the Marvel stuff, that some of the body work was, was a little bit uh, stiff. And um, and then this also relates to my second item. Um, his feet continue to barely bother me. <laughs> Those funny moon boots, that, you know, that he and Hulkbuster and Hulk have. A giant, giant sort of padded, uh, lumpy marshmallow feet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but so, so the, the physics on them standing around in those feel a little weird because it would if there was someone in moon boots. <laughs> right. So, but anyway, it was great to see it again. And it really, um, it sort of primed me for uh for watching endgame which i will be doing this coming monday yeah i probably won't get to see it until tuesday 
but I'm going to try and hit it Tuesday because I've got a con that next weekend, and the last thing I want to do is have it spoiled at a convention. So. Oh, can you imagine being trapped for two or three days as people keep coming up to you? Yeah, yeah, and people have no filter when they're at a convention mm-hmm. like that. Even though it's a horror convention, people will still be talking about it. So, Almost like the horror of no filter of an artist presenting the big bad of Stranger Things Season 1 shortly after it ended uh, at Rose City when some of the people hadn't seen the end of Stranger Things <laughs> Season 1. Yeah, yeah, some people don't think. <laughs> hey, listen, I, I just assumed everyone would have seen it. But. You would think so, but apparently not everybody has the, the, all the free time we have, Tom. Sure. So the other thing I did was uh, I saw Heckboy. Heckboy! And uh, and I feel I, like from what I've heard, it's inappropriate to not swear when you say his name, frankly. Oh, it's ridiculous. <laughs> like within the first minute, there's a, there's a bugaboo that's cussing like a sailor, you know. But so uh, I actually recorded a little mini segment um, – uh, sort of micro review of it uh, with uh, with Blair, uh, but it t- we we recorded it like three hours after we saw it because we needed more time to process mm-hmm. how we felt. Do you know what I mean? And right, my initial listen to the recording, I'm not sure if it came out because I was using the Zoom mic outside because it okay. was a thousand degrees and we were sitting out in the backyard. So I don't really know if it's salvageable. So when you hear this, it will either be preceded by or followed by a micro review of Heckboy, or it won't. But uh, until <laughs> yeah, you I see it, I haven't seen it yet. So, no. but until you see it, I'm not going to talk about it. No, no. Yeah. But because regardless, you and I have to have, um, you know, it's kind of super fans of the material. We have to have a more in depth conversation. But the way it relates and to, and I am getting my Hellboy board game sometime in the next few days. Oh, I cannot wait. I can't help but think that that's going to please me more than the movie, as much as I am still optimistic that I'll enjoy the movie. uh, The board game looks phenomenal. (laughs) I I do think that, um, I think our impression of this movie will change over time. Um, I think I will, I think I will have a different opinion about it on second and third viewings. Mm -hmm. I think it's like a lot of stuff where... My reaction to it initially is only one part of that experience. You know, I think right. I think I think I'm going to be forgiving about things in some ways um, that I wasn't after the first viewing. But I will say that I got in the truck after seeing it, and I looked at my little uh, Hellboy bell that hangs from the rearview mirror, and I thought I like this more. So that's not a great <laughs> sign. But um, Just take but it re- out the window. That's right. Related to Infinity War, though, the the two things that um, uh, resonated for me was that it was interesting. Um, he, it, it, when you see this, we'll talk about it. But um, Hellboy's feet—it's his lack of of, uh, of being cloven hooves, but also just the scale of them and how light he is on them in a lot of scenes was as distracting to me in some ways as the clodhopper feet of Thanos. And I feel like the, the the right choice is somewhere in the middle, like a lot of the other characters in the CGI characters in Infinity War that had like normal boots. Um, mm. There's some middle ground that works, so that's my nuanced take on Heckboy, Tom. which is all about feet. Tom, do you have yes. a monster foot fetish? I might. It just really <laughs> depends to which Instagram uh, you follow. Uh, <laughs> but uh, oh, the other thing about Infinity War was it's interesting that we're in this lead up to the new Star Wars, the final Star Wars film in this cho- in this series. Right, so they released the information about that right as we are. Uh, 
right as we're preparing to see Endgame, and both of them have that sort of finality and yeah. somberness to them, this end yeah. of an era feeling to them. So it's it's interesting. I don't know. Um, yeah, this this coming weekend is a weekend of drama for nerds with Game of Thrones and mm-hmm. Endgame all landing mm-hmm. on the same weekend. I do want to talk about Star Wars Celebration in, in, in a little more detail the next time, but I think uh, we should dive right into our Game of Tolls. Indeed. Uh, Neither of us have a lot of time, so... That's right. To... In, I mean, in reality, I have less time than you because I'm older than you by 15 years or something. <laughs> I think it's 46 years is uh-huh. the difference there. <laughs> I took no notes on this episode at all. But I did not either. I've thought about it. Uh, so, spoiler-free, before we start talking about it, what did you think? Uh, I loved it. I also loved it. That's your spoiler-free review, everybody. (laughs) So, spoilers (laughs) on. I thought it was... I mean, it's not really spoilery, but I thought it was interesting that it mirrored many of the beats of the season opener. Mm -hmm. But because the season opener had to do more... Different director, first of all, but also had to do more work. Was it a different director? I think think Nutter directed both of these, didn't he? Uh... I might be wrong, but I thought he did. There's no way to know, for sure. I mean, yeah, if only there was an MDBA that we could summon. That's right. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, though, I think that the first episode had to do a lot more heavy lifting in terms of um, sort of moving people into position to have interactions, sometimes more clums- clumsier than others, although we did, we did like it, that episode. Yeah. This one yeah, was, was this one was firing on all cylinders as far as the interactions with people. And I thought it was, I agree. I thought it was incredibly emotionally satisfying. And, and there was a healthy dread to it. <laughs> so I saw a lot of people that were really upset about spoilers about this particular episode. And in my opinion, there wasn't really anything to spoil. Uh, do you mean because people were freaking out on the social medias about certain uh, sexual encounters? Honestly, I don't There was a lot of that. What? Like, I didn't really see any spoilers myself. Me neither. All I did was see people complaining about seeing spoilers. Mm-hmm. which is really inexplicable to me. Yeah, I don't think. Uh, so yeah, these were I, both I directed by David Nutter. They were. But yeah. uh, the second episode was written by Brian Cogman. Mm. The first episode was written by Dave Hill, I think. Okay. Yeah, Dave Hill. So different writers for the two different episodes, but same director. But it did have a different I think that makes I mean, a big difference. The scripts being different, but also I mean there's definitely tonally something there was a shift. Agreed. Yeah. Choices that were made. But uh, so, okay, well, let's get right to uh, Aria because this is, it just, it made me laugh. It almost immediately, because after I watch an episode, you know, and I go, I watch this, the stupid, you know, the up next, which I really don't want to see, but it doesn't tell you much. And then the making of, which tells you nothing. It's them just, you know, regurgitating. I like their up next ones because they do manage to keep it like, Teasy and a lot of it's stuff that's not even necessarily in the next episode for this season. I've noticed that's true. Interesting, but the um, then I go then I was I going to sleep. You know, I might uh, check the interwebs and see mm-hmm. what people are talking about, right? Because uh, uh, Vanity Fair and a few other sites have quite a bit of coverage, and I like to wait until you know I've seen it before I read it. And right. uh, I was surprised that like everything online was about Arya. And it was about either the outrage at what they, people saw or bewilderment or the outrage that people were outraged. 
It was very, very divisive. And when I saw it, I didn't feel any of that. It didn't even occur to me that no. it would be. Yeah, Did it, it say something about like, me? I don't... I don't know. Like, to me, it seemed, A, that they telegraphed this for seasons sure. now. Of course. And B, it didn't... Like, it's, it worked, in my opinion. Like, it didn't feel super out of place. It didn't feel weirdly awkward. But it also yeah. didn't feel that exciting or, like resolving anything either yeah it wasn't titillating no and in, i think they handled that well actually and in fact i think that um i thought it was great because of how much agency aria had mm-hmm. i liked that she went and i liked the sequencing that she went from the wall and and had that whole conversation and said nope i'm gonna enjoy life for these hours yeah. before this yeah. happens and then does it, it but me as a longtime horror fan watcher because the people yeah. that have sex right before the battle is the are usually the ones that Jason kills but but aren't they the ones who get killed during the sexes uh not always I see <laughs> um well so I think some of the reaction to that scene maybe because you saw side boob and I don't know, back boob yeah, or something. Because we grew up with this girl since she was like 11, I think is the biggest problem. And a well, lot but of I th- yeah. is their little sister and they can't wrap their brain around anything else. But a, but a, I think it's more about, I don't th- I think it was less a reaction to what the character did and more a reaction to what people saw or felt they saw in the actress and not being able to, to separate the two. And when the actress is in her twenties, you know, yeah, and yeah. the character is late teens, and you're talking about a world that, depending on how, you know, linked it is to true uh, feudal, uh, feudal Western European culture, people were getting married at 11. You know, right. it, there's a whole lot of nothing there. And the fact is that there was huge, there's a huge uh, uptick in search queries about uh, Maisie Williams's age, the character's <laughs> age. You know, and it's like, if you're purient about that stuff, why are you watching Game of Thrones? Right. Because yeah, you shouldn't. That should not be your first concern, frankly. <laughs> they've they've done gratuitous, unnecessary sex scenes since the beginning of the show. Yeah. So yeah. And also, I was thinking about this yesterday. Apropos of nothing, I wonder how many of the uh, prostitutes in Littlefinger's den were in their early twenties. Right. And were characters in their late teens. Like, it's only because we saw her when she was a kid that it resonated with some people that way i think yeah I mean, but i like to think about the, the sheer amount of time we've been watching this character on tv <laughs> i didn't go back and rewatch the seasons like many did and you did some some of them and i watched I've some seen of them. Fo- yeah i've seen the photos uh the little flashback photos to their first season and it is shocking oh yeah it's crazy it's it's also shocking how some actors don't look any different and then some look like babies <laughs> right right yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. Like, it's amazing <clears throat> the difference just some facial hair will make on a few of them. Like, Kit Harrington doesn't look that different once he doesn't have his beard on. Like, at the on Saturday Night Live, he yeah. looked totally different because he didn't have the beard. It's I just agree. strange. I agree. Um, so, this was an episode where uh, it was the night. It was the night before the big battle, and they right. framed it in a way that wasn't. What I liked about it was. They they told us in advance because of the Night's Watch folks coming in. They had a timeline. Said, right. We have until before dawn. Therefore, we were spared 
having the that um, the dissonance of watching and like you referred to with the the sexes in the Jason movies, right? Mm-hmm. We were spared that that um, disconnect where we say, why would you be having these intimate conversations and having wine and having sexes when at any minute you could be ambushed by ice zombies, right? right? They established that there was a timeline for the battle and that they and that, and that people had to make their peace with things, do what they had to do before. Yeah, and I, I like think that. it was perfect. It was it reminded me of the scene uh, way back with Davos uh, when he was with Stannis still, mm-hmm. and they were in the camp, and or it wasn't Davos. It was who was it in the camp then? Was it Renly? It might have been. I can't remember. But there's a a scene of some people in a camp before a war. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> and they talk. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> this is excellent podcasting here. Yes, it is. It's medium medium content. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Mandatory. Well, the the sequence where the little girl comes up at the or the one uh farmer is expressing concern that he's being conscripted or is joining an army and has no experience and he has that funny little pep talk from uh from uh Davos. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Because Yeah. Because Davos I lo- is so excellent. I love everything that comes out of his mouth, even off even off camera or even in uh, in in interviews and stuff. But yeah. uh, but I loved his that his position was I know nothing about anything and I have no skill whatsoever and I survived two of the biggest battles this world has seen in a hundred years. <laughs> it means nothing, but it was yeah. like it, it at least suggested that there's a possibility that you could. St- Similar to Tyrion, that you could just sit there with your with a pike held up and head down and see what happens, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Cross your so. fingers or get knocked out and hope nobody steps on you. <laughs> How about young Lyanna having uh, Lyanna, whatever her name is, uh, having a little suit of armor? I thought that was dope. Oh yeah, her armor was adorable. <laughs> that was amazing. Um, <laughs> so they made a point of of segregating people out for that these final scenes in an interesting way. It was very. We saw earlier in the episode, we saw Theon reappear. Right. And we saw the first uh, honest, emotional response from Sansa since we had Jon Snow come back. Yeah, right? really. Like, yeah. she just broke and went to him. And there's a lot of... That's another thing the internet was crazy about. Like, are they trying to ship them together? And I'm not... I wasn't convinced of that. No, I wasn't either. I don't think that's the type of connection they've had. I mean, maybe it'll turn into that. But it, I don't think they have time for that, A. But it's he risked everything to save her, and I think she acknowledges that. And I think it's um, I think it's a parallel to the theme of what makes family. They're mm-hmm. they're, they're they're leaning hard on that because of uh, John's emerging realization of his lineage, and Arya's warnings to him about don't forget who you, where you came from. Don't forget the Starks. Don't forget who your real family is. She's speaking to someone who she thinks of as a bastard brother, right. but, turn, but will eventually possibly learn is not even related in that way. But at the same time, you have Sansa and Theon, who ha- were about as far apart as you could be, uh, you know, a couple seasons ago when he was executing people and burning civilians in the castle. Um, and now they're close. Now they're closer than a lot of the family. Right. Yeah. Their 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 bond their uh, bond is very tight now because of actions and not because of uh, the previously stated blood that is linking people. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, so it was interesting that they were on the they were out there having some soup or whatever it is talking in the last scenes, um, divorced from everybody else. But also, how about her and um, Daenerys? That whole scene. Yeah, that was interesting. I really hope they're not trying to set up Danny to be villainous in this last part of the season here. I feel like it's a fake out because they're uh-huh. really they're pushing hard on her propensity to kill people and burn things, mm-hmm. and the references the quite overt references to uh to her father that they've had in the last two episodes. Yeah. But um I I thought it was interesting because of the whole previous thing about listening to her hand or not, listening to Jora giving mm-hmm. her advice and then her going in and trying diplomacy with Sansa. What I it, so I thought it was a so it was a scene that had some of my favorite moments and some of my least favorite. My favorite being I liked watching them thaw a little bit and yeah. a certain degree of honesty in their interaction and, uh, and just some realness for a minute, which I liked. Yeah. Yeah. Then, absolutely. then it was one of two really forced, but wait, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and that annoyed me. I don't blame them because they got to stretch it out, but it was frustrating. I, I absolutely hate that. It's like the. Yeah. They've got to stretch it out and they have a lot to cram in at the same time. This yeah. this six episode season with I assume the next episode is going to be just pure battle. I think that the next almost all of the remaining episodes are going to be pure battle. Yeah, yeah. Well, but so like even like Wes Anderson in in uh, one of my favorite movies of his Rushmore, he lampooned this this trope because uh, Max Fisher is up on the roof trying to rat, he's ratting out uh, um, uh, someone to their their wife whatever and right as he starts to spill the dirty details of this affair there's a plane that goes overhead you know and then and then the plane leaves and then the scene ends you know and it's just like it's just it feels so like such a trope to lead you well, up to it and then stop yeah and i think it's interesting because that's i assume you're referring to the the crypt scene with john snow and right Denise. right two and in one episode the thing that's super, speaking of the plane going by there, uh, the, the thing that's crazy to me is that Jon Snow didn't immediately be like, this is who I am, but I don't want to be king kind of thing. Right. right. Like, he, he literally, it. like, that that whole drama thing where he doesn't address the fact in the way that he should because he's straightforward. Yes. However, I also think it showed that they had two very different... Um, focus points on these issues that he was responding um, entirely in uh, they're both selfish but in different ways he was responding to this whole daddy issues who am I and who have I been and and then also responding to how this affects my his love affair and his emotional uh, withdrawal from her until she confronts him. And it's all about the relationship at that moment for him. Yeah. And for her, yeah. it's like, he tells her this information she takes a beat. And then she's like, no, 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 no. As I read somewhere, they said she worked her way, her entire career for a position. And uh, he just swooped in and, <laughs> <laughs> and then know, the like, attractive, the handsome white guy got the job. Yeah. Yeah. You know, exactly. That was the kind of what, it, how it was couched on Twitter that it was sort of a gender thing. But um, I think that's really interesting because their claims are what they are, but I, we don't know whether he would be honest about his lineage or attempt to take the throne. His, the, the I think the wild card here is, is his morality 
is such that he does things that are not strategically sound because of his idea of what he should do. Which he's and done so, since he's been a character. That's right. And and he's been given these seeds from Sam and others that um, she might be bad for Westeros. <laughs> and right. so if they if they have conflict over this, it's easy to see that there's a there's a scenario where he says, you know, oh, I, I don't want to do this, this thing that you've wanted since you were a baby. But uh, but I think I have to. I, I have to. <laughs> you know, that's really going to suck, right? That's that's going to piss her off royally. But at the so same I'm hoping time, it doesn't go that like, way. She's admitted that she's in love with him, or at least yes. as far as she thinks love works. Yes. And, I mean, <clears throat> doesn't that just make things easier then? <laughs> well, that's that's why that cutoff, was, that abrupt end to that dialogue was so artificial. Yeah. Because it's right there that they could come to an agreement yeah yeah it just doesn't make it's just yeah that was my only kind of sour note for the episode in my opinion um uh, i want to say that i think that the well two highlights for me one was that this was a this was a jamie farewell episode right it's not it was if anybody is being broadcasted as is getting beheaded in the next episode, it's Jamie and it's Grey Wolf. Grey Grey uh what's his name? Uh, Grey Worm or Grey Worm, I think I think one of those two is going to die. Right. I don't think Jamie is going to die. I personally feel like he is the only person from a writer's standpoint that survives. The only person that can kill Cersei. I think you're I mean it's it wants to be him, doesn't it? It has it, to be like there's no emotional connection if anyone else kills her. And it would seem to be a little above. Um, it would be a little on the nose for him to strike Daenerys down. Yes, be a Kingslayer twice, but it does feel like it narratively wants to be him that seals it and takes out Cersei. You're right, but it was interesting though that he worked his way through the camp and had to make amends or have confrontations with people. Um, it opens. It opens on his sort of trial, which was great, mm-hmm. and it was surprising. It was surprising that uh, Brienne stood up for him, and it went the way it did with Sansa then vetting based on Brienne. I but really but like also, the way they've made Brienne so uh, like integrated into so many of the characters' lives, as far as that's concerned. She's more extra than the male counterparts of her character. That's why yeah. her her final scene with the knighting was so powerful yeah. and how it felt genuine that all those people were actually cheering for her because right. she was more a, a, a knight in the sense of what she had done and what she had aspired to be than any of her, just like they said, than any of her male, uh, I don't know, ciphers. I but, agree. I, I don't think anyone could have pulled that off as well as she does. It was, it, yeah, she's amazing. That smile, when have we seen that smile on her? Yeah. It was not even her natural smile. Like, it was an artificial, weird, like, the actress's not real smile isn't that. It was really interesting. Right. It was like this really it Cheshire. Was and smiling, not yes. Wendell Christie smiling. Yes, yes. I loved that, um, I think this was probably the best use of a, a character singing in an episode. Yeah, with, uh, I agree. Quadrant. I would I would agree with that. Yeah. A beautiful voice, a beautiful song at least and important from its first line in the books, I guess. Yeah, um, it is. Yeah, it's directly connected to 
something. <laughs> and it was just neat, just from the narrative that those those power players are all sitting around. Anyone, anyone? And then it's Podrick who has come up from being a squire to, you know, having a seat at the table, right? And yeah. then he's the one who breaks into song. I just thought it was really... He's he's really grown. He's a very favorable character to me. He's yeah. He's survived against all odds, and he's stayed likable and true in a way that everybody thinks John is. Pod is that character. Like he yeah. he obeys his word. He's true to people. I really like him. Uh, I always think of uh, Gendry and and Pod together. <laughs> Uh, uh, and I just remembered something else, which was that there was that reference in the first season or even the first episode where uh, Baratheon says he, he suggests a pairing between one of Stark's children and one of his. Mm-hmm. And then Arya and Gendry are basically doing that very thing. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it, it was also neat. It was neat um, and unexpected that he admitted that he was a Baratheon to Arya and have her just kind of kind of blink and stare at him. That was neat. Yeah, yeah. It surprised <laughs> that, me that, that reveal he did. was handled better than John and Danny, in my opinion. It surely was. Um, oh, and also, how about with uh, how about with Jamie and Bran when you finally have their confrontation? And Bran's, you know, I, I loved that his attitude was sort of like, "Well, you know, it's moot because I'm not even that guy anymore. So who cares?" Yeah, I'm even who matter. I am because of what you did. But that line that he throws to Jamie that just like twists that knife a little bit without so revealing that he was who pushed him off the th- I thought that was really interesting. I thought so too. I've heard you're not the first person that has said to me that they felt like Bran was saying you made me who I am. Yeah. But in a good way. Yeah. And I yeah, and I exactly. and I definitely think he said I I definitely think he was conveying that the sequence of events led to this and so it is what it is. But mm-hmm. I wasn't. I, I didn't take away from it that he was forgiving Jamie in any way. I took it that he was saying this doesn't matter anymore because that person doesn't even exist. Yeah, I agree. <coughs> Excuse me. But I thought that was great. I mean, that was a confrontation I wanted to see since since the moment he fell out the window or was pushed out. Right. And I I do think it's really interesting that they went this whole time without. Bran ever telling anyone who pushed him. Yeah. yeah. I, I, it hadn't really clicked until that scene that he'd never told anyone that. Mm-hmm. It, although, it, we, well, and especially because before he was a three-eyed raven, he had plenty of opportunity. Right, yeah. <laughs> Once he was a three-eyed raven, it, it there's a rationale for him not saying anything because he sees all, says all, or whatever, but... Right. Um, what about uh, Sam and Jorah? That was interesting. Yeah, yeah, it was. I think that was the the right move to give him the sword. I think that's an interesting connection there. I think Especially it was uh, foretelling, though. The second time that Jorah's had a a sword handed to him. <laughs> yes, and so that was his that was his uh, that was his birthright. That sword, right? Because his father was the king of the Night's Watch, or the not Commander that sword. Watch. No, no. The sword that he gave him was Samuel Tarley's house sword. Ah, right. He okay. Stole from his dad's house. Right, right. And right. then the Tarleys are no longer. So, right. but no. Uh, Jorah's house sword is the one that Jon Snow's carrying. 
That's right. So he handed it off, and now he's been handed another one. Right. right. Jon Snow tried to give it back to Jorah during uh, yes, last yes. season when they were hiking around making jokes about cocks and stuff. Of course. <laughs> As one does in Westeros, if you're a yes. boy. Um, so I felt like it was foreshadowing. Um, so I have a bad feeling. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is where we decide where we make our votes about who's going to survive the next episode. Well, okay, so more more than specific people, here's my concern. I have a couple of concerns. So here's what they are. One, um, Sam was the first, as he said. As he's said even in the battle plan, the the uh, the dubious battle plan session. <laughs> you know, he's the only one to have killed a White Walker, and he's had personal experience. And yes, he's not a combat guy and everything else, but there's a thematic element to the fact that he would give up his weapon mm-hmm. as being the one that has actually inflicted harm, and or the first first to have inflicted harm. Okay, so right. I didn't like that, and then I didn't like that we made they had five different references to saying that the not only the weak and the innocent but also the most important people strategically were to be sent to the crypt. Right. right? Tyrion to the crypt, Sam and your baby to the crypt, all these other villagers to the crypt. And so, you know, people were already babbling about how a bunch of undead Stark were going to rise up. And once, once Winterfell fell, you were going to suddenly have, you know, various Starks stumbling along, but that doesn't make sense because the majority of the Stark clan have been burned or, have been eliminated in other ways. Yeah, there's been so, no record of him raising anybody that's been long buried. <coughs> Although people, including me, hold out some uh, far-fetched hope that this is how we're going to get uh, Lady Stone, whatever. But <laughs> <laughs> Okay, but so I don't think that that's what it is, but what I'm concerned about, I have two concerns. The one is I'm concerned that the... Night King's forces are going to access through the crypt. Hmm. That they're going to do a, de- a decoy attack at the at the gates or whatever, but then they're going to get in through the crypt and come up from the inside. Because they've the crypt has been incredibly obvious and important in this season. At the end of last season and this season with the statues and you know multiple important conversations have been happening down there and we've been seeing the Winterfell crypt since season one. It's a huge deal. Right. And um, I think of it. I think of it as they're treating it like it's a vault, and I'm seeing it as, you know, an underground. Uh... I think that's an interesting idea, but I don't know. Like, like even when Bran and Rickon and those guys were hiding down there, they still came up out of the crypts to escape. But that's because they didn't dig their way in another direction. What I'm saying is, if oh, like dig it, like if, tunneling into it. Correct. What if the Whites tunnel in through the crypt? Because he could throw them at things, right? Right. So, and my other concern is, I think, and, and we will soon find out if I'm terribly wrong, but I think that this is a, if not a decoy, it's a side, it's a side hustle. I think that uh, the Night King is not approaching Winterfell. I think the Night, I think the Night King is is heading on to King's Landing. And he's got a detachment of White Walkers who are attacking Winterfell. They did specifically not show him in the walk-up on there. Which and we haven't seen... Their luxurious locks. And also, you know, considering the fact that you have this army stumbling along behind guys on horseback, 
Mm-hmm. We've seen all that Im- all those images of them coming through the wall with the giants and the, <coughs> what the <coughs> excuse me the one thing that's been conspicuously absent in these final scenes in this episode it was no dragon flying around. See, and I'm really curious why nobody mentioned the dragon. Like, how did Tormund come back after seeing the dragon do what it did, and it never once came up in the planning session? Yeah, that's right. That's, that's really weird to holes. me. Right, 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 right. Um, all he had on his mind was giant milk. <laughs> yeah, really? <laughs> I mean, if this guy could get any better to have him, like, to, that whole thing where he, the gun on the mantle thing, where he's like, I bring my own I bring my own drink. And then they figure out that it's weird giant milk. And like, where did he get it? Right. Well, I just I love that he thinks he's killing it. He's yeah, just he's so done. sure that he's like the sexiest thing ever in that scene. Oh, my God. He suckled me under teeth. He's like, wait, what? Oh, and just this how how horrible I was pouring down. And, and you're just looking at it going that warm. That weird, tepid giant milk. Where did he get it? And how long has it been in that I don't horn? think that's actually giant's milk there. I think that's just beer he's drinking. I don't know, man. <laughs> he so, never says he's drinking giant's milk now. <laughs> yeah. But but I think that – But for, so, again, going back to the plot, I'm, I think it's interesting the idea that the Night King's forces would divide because we have seen signs of strategic leadership mm-hmm. such as going after the dragon and various other things. Uh, I leave the leaving of the rune, the rune body, the symbols and all that stuff, the mutations they have since we last talked, they did confirm that that is that he is co-opting the images of the children of the forest as okay. a means of saying like, fuck you to the natural world, you know? <clears throat> and I liked, and I liked that they said in the uh, planning session, they had a really great point that tar- that Sam said, which was that the coming from one, um, historian to another metaphysical one, he was like, he hates you because you're the record of the history of Westeros. You are the, you are the memory. And if death yeah. is the lack of memory, killing you is symbolic for him. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, yeah, I did too. That was, I, man, I really wonder if Bran's going to survive past this next episode. Well, so it goes back to this whole thing of he's out there as bait. Right, um, he's out there as bait under the tree, but if, but if the Night King doesn't come, you can Which see us. They wouldn't zero see, in on him the way they think he's going to. Right, and so, so, so the reason I like the idea that this might be a fork is that it's one of those ways of subverting uh, expectation in this show that I like. We've seen nothing but the, the wall of ice, right? This onslaught of a force of nature invading north to south in a in a right. wave and then to have them all of a sudden use strategy and and divide their forces to go after different targets to me that's really um it makes it more interesting well and that makes it such a, a interesting thing after this episode two of them trying to get the word to king landing let them know what's happening and there's a long stretch between winterfell and king's landing but right something that marches day and night without ever stopping it's hard for regular men to keep up with that well the thinking about the writer's room and if you imagine if it goes the way they're suggesting it goes that the night king is attacking winterfell that means that we would see an episode with a big battle of whites and walkers and the night king attacking winterfell a big attempt to hold him back that will fail and then they would have to retreat and make a run for it 
right. which is what we saw at the wall. Right. And then if you're going to consider con- continue the beat of escalation <coughs> to show the to show the Night King attacking Winterfell, then running away, and then to show him continue on and then do the, the same thing at King's Landing, there's no escalation. But if they show the Battle of Winterfell from the perspective of the defenders mm-hmm. and having all of the you know the attacks and people losing their lives and all this desperate stuff and then at some point having Bran or someone saying he's not, he's here. not here yeah that gives you a chilling realization that you know this wasn't even the main event and yeah, I think this that's was great for not <laughs> because because going back to last week when we were talking about what are their motivations and you know they've talked about well Night King's motivation is to wipe the world of, of light and life because of the way he was created and what his mission statement was as a as a bioweapon, as that applies to what they're doing as they're traveling down, we said, you know, why is he want the Iron Throne? Why would he go for the Iron Throne? That makes no sense. Who gives a shit, mm-hmm. right? So, from that perspective, the idea that he would continue down and say, okay, now let's sack Winterfell. This is very important that we put all our forces into crushing this little this keep. Why would he bother? Right. 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 So, so to me, its its importance is to the characters we've followed and our view as viewers not to him other than Bran other than Bran there's no reason for him to even bother with Winterfell well unless we think that Azor Ahai is Jon or or Daenerys that's right that's true but that's yeah like I agree I think it's something where like to him his main thing is to wipe out life but also make his army as big as it can so that he can continue wiping out life and they've made a point specifically of mentioning how many people are in King's Landing over the last couple seasons, too, and right. how big it is and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I mean, it makes sense if you think about it that way. It's the largest source of new recruits, and you make the most headway with your mission that way. I think it's cool. I mean, I love what it's. I love what they've set up. I love... I love the stakes it created. So my coworker had a theory or had an idea that I thought was interesting. She proposed as a logical uh, thematic conclusion for Cersei mm-hmm. that the Night King sacks King's Landing and turns her and makes her into a Night Queen. That would be intense. At first, I thought same thing for like the Iron Throne. Like, why would he care? Why is this person more right. important than anybody else? But I like this idea that because they have shown that there's sentience in him, mm-hmm. I like the idea that he would look at her, if for whatever reason, and just decide, yep, and do that. I don't know. Yeah, I just think that that's kind be, of a, that would be an interesting idea. Hell, man. Yeah. If, this, uh, if this episode is them sacking Winterfell, the next episode is the Night King basically taking King's Landing. Ah, that's, in, that's a crazy idea. That's interesting. Boy, oh boy. Well, I, and, and for all the the uh, inevitability of these last episodes, much like Endgame, what I like about it is I can see different ways it can go, and they're interesting to me. Yeah. The idea of the uh, the Iron Fleet, well, three three ships taken back from the Iron Fleet, fleeing for the island as a place that the, uh, that the Night King theoretically can't reach, which is not true. Yeah. But... It was yeah. an idea. It doesn't take into account a dragon. <laughs> right. But uh, I mean, that's, and, that's the interesting thing. Like, 
if the if the army of the dead can't work boats, there's a a fairly large continent not too sure. far away that they could always retreat to. <laughs> right, and then again, the narrative has has implied that what he cares about is going south towards the Iron Throne, which is right. a construct of these people. It's a right. construct that postdates his creation, so there's no logical reason for him to go after it, other than the narrative of the story. Unless he's out at it more from a mythological thing, where he he's kind of playing his part in the whole Azor Ahai thing, sure. but it's yeah, it's a totally different beast as far as that's concerned. But so then again, if if the idea is he wants to snuff out all life, how would he know there was an island out there, or how would he know there's another landmass? How would he? How would he know? I guess you could say that he was warging himself and could. Yeah, I mean, he clear, he uses ravens, doesn't he? Yeah, or am I mistaken so, in that? I think he has seen Bran through the ravens Bran is using. Oh, okay. I don't that know that sense. he is. I don't know that we've seen him warg. But what I'm saying is, unless you know, it's a construct of us seeing a map to know that there's a landmass. It's sort of like the. Uh, the, the pre-age of exploration in, uh, well, I should say, centuries before that. But, you know, just like in our world, right? Like, there's a point where no one knew there was anything beyond their land. Right. How would he know? <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think he's as single-minded as you think he is, personally. They have said that he will not speak. And I don't know. Uh, we've had a, a number of examples in culture over the last few years where they they straight up lie to you so he could right um i like the idea though of him not speaking i do too because i the less i know about the reason he it's a vader problem right the less i know about the reason for him being the way he is and the humanizing things about him the better the scarier he is well and there's there's nothing saying that it couldn't go lord of the rings with it and have him have a mouthpiece the way that sauron did that's a good idea. He could have a speaker without it being him talking. Ooh, and what if that speaker is his Night Queen? It could be. Um, I still think, from a design standpoint, that his walkers are cooler looking than he is. I do, too. I He's just a little off-kilter to me. He has this cute little tunic <laughs> and his funny little crown of, of horns, and he almost looks like an undead Tommen to me. Um, and it doesn't help that the actor change, right? Because their first actor looked better than yeah. the yeah, second the first guy. first actor fit the the makeup a lot better, I think. Definitely. But when we saw, but when we saw the first White Walker with the long hair and the really gaunt cheeks and stuff, and the and the muscle tissue in the mm-hmm. cheeks, that was when I said, "Now that's the fucking bad guy." <laughs> like <laughs> that to me is a lot scarier than the Night King looks. I do think it's really funny that all of his other White Walkers all have these long, flowing white locks of hair coming out behind them. Yeah. It's it's just really, it's a strange concept that there's not, like, some, like, shaggy bearded guy with a bald head and that kind of thing. Like, I feel like, like, they've never adequately explained how the babies that he gets from Craster's Keep become these old men with white, long white hair. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Babies, the whole thing about the babies is interesting, too, because it's another reason why he would go after, why they would go after the crypt. Because that's where all the babies are and yeah. the younglings are. Yeah, that's to the younglings. <laughs> like mine. <laughs> yeah, so next, you know, so. You know, all the younglings, Yoda will feel a disturbance in the forest. Correct. I so, guess Brand is Yoda, isn't he? He kind of is. He's, yeah, <laughs> he's Yoda without 
Yeah, he's Yoda before Yoda decided to tell anybody what's going on. Yeah, he's Yoda with less personality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, any anyone we haven't touched on from this episode? I'm trying to think if we've missed anything. I have no idea. Uh, I like the scene up on the ramparts with the the red uh, with. Oh, yeah. Arian and the Hound and Arya and Arya definitely fitting in as more of the the hardened warrior than the scared little girl that she was last time she saw the Hound. I love that. I like Sam Tarley's look when the night or the Night's Watch guy showed up and he saw John. How John looked at Tormund and and soon to die. What's his name? That looks like he was in the band Rush, you know, and a few others. And Sam's kind of like. <laughs> Uh, this is what it's like when John sees like badass fighter friends instead of yeah, you know, pie eating yeah, friends. I also think it's interesting that th- there was like what six of them from the Night's Wash down there. Yeah, is that yeah. all that's left? I think so. <laughs> well, and they and they made a they made a point of referencing what we were talking about last na- last time, which was so. How did you guys meet up? Well, we both met up at Hardhome or whatever it is. They're not Hardhome, Last Earth. Um. You know they were they were split they were split apart. They found each other and came down. And they're all that survived. But it's weird that they don't reference like Castle Black getting taken out or anything. Did they just yeah. abandon Castle Black because the wall fell? I guess that was. I my guess sense. that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I also liked about in this episode. I liked what we didn't see. The Night King for one, but also mm-hmm. Cersei, King's Landing, yeah. completely, completely off the map for the episode. And I really and enjoyed that. To be there, yeah, yeah, like that one scene with Braun in the last episode felt really out of place, and I think not having them in this episode was a good move. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, so the next episode, of course, is going to be some big battle. I find the reason I like this episode so much is this was the Game of Thrones that I love. Mm-hmm. The battles are are impressive. Yeah, but I'm at an age where big battles whether it's Avengers or Game of Thrones or anything else, the big battles are technically impressive, mm-hmm. but not as thrilling as character interaction that's meaningful. Agreed. Like, you give me the the prequel that they're writing, and if it took place in an inn the entire time, and you were just like, yeah. the whole thing was told Cheers style, I would, I would watch that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the problem with big action sequences, and, and this is true of what is described in the media as the sort of the superhero backlash and all that, I, a big set pieces, big action event pieces have diminishing returns because mm-hmm. they keep escalating. But then they've reached they reached a point years ago where every single movie has the big blue light coming from the heavens and apocalyptic and things happening. And, PG army. Yeah. Beasts and hordes yeah. of gray, gray nothings, and God, it, there's no, there's no stakes. Whereas, personal, which is why I go back to why I love Winter Soldier and and for, for a large part Civil War among yeah. all the MCU movies because they're the ones that felt like they had the most stakes in them. And Ant Man once and again, Ant-Man. it just yeah. like had that nice small, almost yes. like small scale ending. A vignette, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, I, I know that the battle is going to be exciting and cool, mm-hmm. but I was much more interested in these kinds of interactions and seeing how certain characters were resolved or not resolved. You mentioned Which Cheers. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the very last episode because I don't think it's going to be a battle episode. I think it's going to be yeah. a, 
a farewell episode. Yeah, and I think, I think I'm going right. to really like it. Well, you mentioned Cheers a moment ago, and that was one of the things I was talking to a coworker about that I loved about the fireplace, the hearth scene, where mm-hmm. everyone was taking a chair and talking. It was one of the more natural attempts at the final season, fourth wall, nostalgic sequence that you've seen in yeah. so many shows over the years. Cheers did a fairly good one. But, mm-hmm. <coughs> excuse me, there have been better ones than others. But the, in the long-running beloved shows, they frequently will have this thing where pe- characters will, the actors will get together and they're pretending to be their characters, but it's really just the actors being soppy. Oh, <laughs> right. Right? And Cheers was like yeah. that. Cheers, everybody was bawling. And you're like, okay. Right? Yeah, I've never actually, I, I have to confess, I've never really watched Cheers. What? But, well, I mean, like it was on when I was young, but uh-huh. I didn't appreciate it at the time. And I've just never gone back. It's not that I don't Fra- like it, but. Did you watch Frasier? Yeah. Okay. Because, yeah, I watched uh, Frasier. I like Frasier. Um, I, you know, Cheers holds up. If you go back and rewatch does Cheers, it? it does actually hold up. Has the same sort of. Uh, it's the same. It's the same team and the same construct in terms of that type See, of. Comedy. I used to not like uh, uh, Ted Danson. Yeah, I le- I love him now. Like everything he's been in since Cheers, I really like. I don't particularly like Christy Alley or the other. Yeah, people, like Shelley I mean, Long. Only in Modern Family. I can I love her in Modern Family, but I didn't like her in anything else. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen her in that. But she she's um, she's uh, Ed O'Neill's ex wife. Oh, the father of his children. I mean the mother, the mother of his children. Um, I didn't like Ted Danson particularly. I didn't like him in that role. Yeah, he is such a weird skeleton man with a heavy brow and a weird hair, and he's just so very. Yeah. He's so nondescript. To have him be the. Uh, romantic character, yeah. yeah, it's just strange. The it, it, so it so, and I and I almost wonder if that aspect of his story in Cheers was mm-hmm. because that's what you did in sitcoms was you had to have some I think so. you had to have some love thing that was the 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 tether to bring people around. But if you take away that part of it, or at least you you look at it from the first season of Cheers again, you haven't seen it, but the perspective mm-hmm. is that the waitress Shelley Long's waitress was an ex of his okay. so he was playing the straight man and all the characters at the bar were eccentric and she was bitter at him and so he was neutral and in that way Ted Danson was well cast it's hmm. only when the focus became him and his love interests that it became and it became like that the, the Ted Danson show that it didn't work for me and you're right his modern work is much more interesting because he's eccentric in them yeah yeah and he's, he really is charming, but he just yeah. never worked for me for that show. Well, so maybe with, with that all said, how about a, a very brief um, planned plundering? Obviously, we have the next episode of Game of Tolls and Endgame as soon as we, each of us can do it. Is there yeah. anything else that's on your radar that you're you think in the near future you're going to squeeze in? Oh, man. I, I still want to go see the Leica film, but I probably won't make it to it while it's in theaters as much as that kills me. Yeah. Um, I've had, I, man, I honestly don't have much. I've got a big project I'm working on for the Hollywood Theater up in Portland that I can't right. really talk about, but. Right. But it's awesome. Moving along. Uh, I just got in some paints that 
uh, for the first time, this old grognard is going to try and paint minis again for the first time since I was in high school. That makes me so happy given my history with painting miniatures. I just love it. I cannot wait. Well, and that was like where I always was. Like my brother was the one that played all the RPGs, but I bought them, read the books, loved them, and painted all the miniatures for them. Right, right, right. It was like the support crew, (coughs) the D group. Yes. So I'm really I'm excited about that. I also I think I want to sell shade my Hellboys mm. and like like actually do the 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 line art on them and make them look Minola esque. So I'm kind of excited about trying that, but it's awfully ambitious considering I haven't painted anything in 20 years. <laughs> did what was your painting technique back when you did? Did you have a technique? I had a toothpick and I had little glass jars of testors. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you know i worked in a hobby shop for some years right um, i bought the stuff beforehand and then i worked there and then i sold the stuff and i was trained by a guy who went on to do a lot of uh, diorama and effects stuff in in, mm-hmm. in hollywood and so there was a legacy of or like a tradition of of stylistic um technique that was passed on to me from him and it was really uh a game changer for me mm-hmm. what he so I've seen other techniques since then I've seen that people have underpainted in darker colors and done different things but one of the things that he taught me that which was very simple was well two things one these are some uh, some unasked for uh, miniature painting advice bits for you one was that you he painted um, kind of the way you and I color when we're being a little bit loose. Like mm-hmm. it was, he taught me to paint, use a brighter color or more in, or saturated version of the color than you think you want. Mm-hmm. And then do strong highlights on it. Yeah. Because it causes it to punch on the little, on the little figure. Right. And then, the, right. and then what goes hand in hand with that was he taught me black washing and it made yep. a huge, huge difference in yeah, black the way the is came out. like the, standard these days right right but at the um, time it, i didn't see a ton of that and it was it would it completely changed my world realizing that you can make all the little crevices and you could do it through uh the nature of viscosity as opposed to having to try to figure out how to paint reveals and stuff oh yeah yeah like um i remember when we were learning how to paint like in pocatello idaho there weren't hobby stores per se like there was like yeah. a corner of a discount store that sold lead figures back when it was real lead and, yeah. and uh that was about yeah. it kind of thing like the comic shop had a few things but you had to go to a model store and buy the testers like enamel paints that you could get in the little jars and so to all us, the gloss you could handle non-existent like that wasn't even yeah. a thing for us yeah so, you couldn't even deal with those paints yeah, yeah. So I've been watching a lot of videos on YouTube, uh, just mm. like in the background while I'm doing things, and it's sort of almost ASMR esque for me at this point now. Where I agree, I'll look up and see people painting little details. So I picked up a army painter paint set that has like 50 paints, and it comes with like five different shades of wash, uh, five metallics, and then just a bunch of like rad little dropper bottles of paint. And it's not like the best quality miniature paint. Um, There's like three or four better ones, but these come in at like less than two bucks a bottle, which is pretty decent. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's good pricing for the (laughs) eighties. So right. (laughs) What, what's the brand on those? Uh, Army painter is what it's called. 
Oh, I thought that was like a thing. Like it was a, a field box, you know, with the X on no, it. Open it no. <laughs> I think they, um, I, I, they definitely start out like t- targeting like the old school like, army hmm. painter type people. But there was a brand that I used that we, we, we uh, you know, we, we carried a number of brands, both targeting the RC car market and model kit market, but also the miniatures. And I can't remember the name of the brand. It's a very famous brand that did the paints that I used for my day-to-day painting. They were really aiming at D&D miniatures. I can't remember the name. Yeah, I know know Citadel and Vallejo have been around for quite some time now. It might have been Citadel. Like, they had Salamander Red-Orange, for example. And, (laughs) and like, Go Faster Red was one. uh, Although I think that one might have been part of the the line that was aimed at the Warhammer 40,000 stuff. But... But but also the other thing that was vital to me was in the Tamiya line, aimed at model kits, they had a series of glazes which that were so great because you could use them to, you know, you're glazing over clear parts and translucent parts. But even when you applied them as top coats to other colors, they made them iridescent and and uh, oh wow, army painter. Um, so Tamiya had so you have like you know yellow and orange and red and these are these glaze these glaze colors, but mm-hmm. also my favorite was called smoke, and so what it was was it was like a black it was like a black wash. It landed and it's like a dark charcoal, but it was very glossy, mm-hmm. and and had a certain almost like a milkiness to it, and so it was like my go to not only on clear parts but all kinds of stuff. I loved it, so I bought some paints to start uh, doing model kits with the kids a couple years ago and it was a little premature but I'm so close it's it's in the it's in the list of things that I want to start doing once I get a few more source books done. <laughs> you know what I mean yeah that's but, another uh, thing yeah. on my plundering just as uh, oh really tell I me what I happen to have a, a certain RPG that I got in the mail the other day called Post Human I can't that- wait I am really looking forward to diving into that I haven't touched yet because I've been busy, but I'm super stoked. You will be the third. You will be, uh, you know, uh, I mean, aside from all of the internal, the internal back and forth and and beta testing and various other things, um, you'll be the third human to read (laughs) those books and like dive into them as, as actual game books other than me. So that's exciting. And it also is exciting that, I mean, it's such a small number compared to anything, you know, right. But for, for a homegrown game, that's only been to one show. It's exciting to me. Every time someone is picking up the book and I've gotten a couple other people have like friends from the forum and stuff that have reached out. But the idea that anyone at all picks up that book and gets into it, it just thrills me (laughs) after 20 years of working on that stuff. Right. Right. 15 years. But, Anyway, so I look forward to hearing what you say. I hope it's five-star reviews. Well, it'll be three Thumbs stars, up. but on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> That's a quandary. You're yeah, really. I do kind of want three stars. <laughs> <laughs> so on my planned uh, plundering, uh, so I want to get on the new season of Barry. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I just watched that the other day, actually, the first season. It okay. was... Uh, it was. I don't particularly like that actor, uh-huh. but he's it, he's perfectly cast for that role. He's excellent in it, yes. and his supporting cast is just absolutely top notch. And they're and they're they're um, they're straddling the the satirical absurdist line so well. Yeah. The 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 takedowns on the asp- bullshit aspiring actors in their little 
classes and you know what I mean like all that stuff is so dead on but at the same time the other stuff that they're lampooning about the sort of the the assassin world it's so perfect Mm -hmm. I cannot believe it works as well as it does it's super meta but they did they handle it really subtly in a way that I didn't expect them to do can you imagine when they first cast Henry Winkler in that I thought that's just not what I wanted to see but man now I can't imagine it's like trying to imagine modern family without Ed O'Neill like it just, yeah, yeah, exactly. He he does it he's, so well. He's so good in everything he does. He is. I just wasn't sure if that was the character I wanted. I, I wasn't sure if he was who I wanted in that role, but then I, yeah. I was sold on it right away. <laughs> My favorite guy in the cast, uh, I've loved this actor since I saw him on Gotham. Um, he's the Chechnyan that survived. Oh, the, yeah. The, yes. the fearless one. Zayas. Zayas. So... Um, he, I saw an interview with him, and uh, he really does. Yeah, he really has it. Yeah. yeah, he talked about having to come to terms with it and how it made his career. But you know, for a long time, it was like bucket ice water on his relationships and stuff. But I, I yeah, think he looks. I think he looks really cool. I was also surprised to find out he really is Chechnyan. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it, his his accent is that accent, <laughs> which really That's surprised really me. Interesting. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to starting season two. That's it, they're taunting me with their little uh, commercials for it and stuff. <laughs> and the other thing I'm I'm uh, watching a little bits is uh, you know I've been working my way through all of the Star Wars animated stuff, and I'm in mm-hmm. uh, season three of four for Rebels. Okay. And I got to tell you, I've said it before on this pod, but uh, I now understand that the two animated series I haven't touched Resistance yet, but these these two animated series did more to flesh out and define the Star Wars canon than the movies did. I mean, it, it has the time and the room to breathe and right. create these kinds of stories and characters that we always say we wanted. You know how I used to gripe that I wanted to see more other than Sky, like Skywalker clan stuff? Mm-hmm. I wanted to see other stories in this universe. Between these two series, that's what you get. Interesting. And uh, it's, it's been very uh, satisfying. And um, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm, th- I'm on three of four, and I know enough about how it ends and and leads into some of the stuff in the movies that I'm, I'm it's a little spoiled for me. Also, the <laughs> the uh, DVD box set covers that I use to uh, put the the art on the on the recordings I do, mm-hmm. they also spoil things for me, <laughs> like the way things look on them, because characters evolve. Actually, God forbid, uh, okay. they, they evolve and change the way they look. So, so I, so I just entered into the season where some of those spoils um, have been proven out, and, and you see what has changed the characters. But I mean, the design work on most of these characters is the best of of Star Wars in terms Interesting. of how the choices they made and how they look. Um, so my list of to do my to do list for drawing because I have a need for more projects. Of it's course. gotten really deep on Star Wars characters, <laughs> really deep. Those those five or six people will really appreciate that. Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> you know, you and I both were commissioned to draw carnivorous Ewoks, so there's there there's a market yeah, somewhere. I finish that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you need to. I know it's it, the inks are done. I just have to sit down and do the coloring on them. But one final it's... thing I'll mention is that uh, I've been doing those audiobooks like we talked about before, and. Once I burned through and I got I got through all the Neil Stevenson stuff that I wanted to read at that point, and I switched over to Star Wars, um, 
because Star Wars and Game of Thrones were two that I thought, well, this would be a good opportunity for me to to use the audiobook format for. Um, yeah. And the first of the Star Wars books. Now, the problem is you and I know that Star Wars books aren't well written. But mm-hmm. Generally. The fir- yeah, the first one that I picked was Ahsoka, which is the the solo book talking about that character's arc after Clone Wars and prior okay. to Rebels. And she's a fan favorite character for a reason. She's a great character. But I mentioned this to you when I first started it, and I, and I was a little bewildered by it. And I have to tell you, it's not good. <laughs> Actri- the voice actress... I forget her name. Is, is this drama? Are those dramatized? Where they yeah. have like different actors? Uh, I don't like. No, no. Well, sort of. Uh, it's her doing a couple of sort of pitches and different voices. I haven't heard another actor's voice. Although I started Bloodline, which is one of those Leia books, and, okay. and in that one, I think that there is at least one other voice actor. But um, interesting. But I feel like they're more inclined to do that when it's a female narrator, just because when they try to drop their pitch to do male voices, it's it's distracting a little bit. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. Um, although the female narrator on the second half of Seven Eves did an excellent job. You didn't. It didn't matter. Um, but anyway, so Ahsoka, the the key is they got the voice actor for Ahsoka from the cartoons to narrate the book, and okay. it's a fucking disaster. <laughs> for two reasons. One, it's really the verisimilitude is just blown when that voice is reading the non-dialogue. Mm-hmm. Right? Then, even worse, then she gets into character and she's got all the emphasis and sort of the it just it just uh highlights how bad the dialogue is. Okay. It just sounds stupid. It just doesn't work at all. Like if it was written in first person, that'd be one thing. <laughs> right. But... It wasn't. It wasn't. Yeah, that's an issue. The, the Ahsoka voice says, Ahsoka said, you know, it's just, it's... Yeah, that's weird. And there's lots of, that writer used a lot of uh, internal monologuing. And that <laughs> doesn't work. Internal monologuing in the third person. So... Yeah. That's, the thing I don't, that's yeah. a writing affectation that I've never really loved. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm somewhat used to its success it, with like C.J. Cherry, who would write... 16 pages of internal monologue but she was a psychology major I mean she had yeah, she, she had a lot to say <laughs> so uh, the, the world's largest mosquito hawk just flew onto the screen in my dark uh, graphis here and it was about the size <laughs> of your paints in your, in your image <laughs> that's pretty gruesome anyway so the other thing I don't like about those books is that they uh, they really throw all the sounds in so mm-hmm. you've got Star Wars hey, sound effects in books uh, Sound. There's the it. the music, the 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 background sounds. All you know, like there's lightsabers fired up. You know, it's like I hate that. I, it's awful. Like I listened, to, <laughs> I listened to a um, it was Secrets of Victoria or something like that, and it was a narrated by Stephen Fry, and it was just a freebie on Audible. And the the story itself was excellent, but they kept adding these stupid audio tracks in the background or like horse hooves and they're mm. never mixed right so they're either too loud or they're like just oh i hate it so much <laughs> they're not significantly You're... better than uh uh 40s radio plays right 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 wobble, yeah and if you're embracing that, that's fine if you want to embrace the pulpy radio play aspect of it and that's what i'm getting into i'm okay with that but uh otherwise don't do it you're gonna hear me shriek when this thing lands on me. By the way, I'm, I, my 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 logic center 
appreciates this creature, but my midbrain's going to be like, nope, as soon as it lands on my neck. Because <laughs> it's about the size of my palm, right? Okay? Jeez. Um, anyway, yeah, yeah, so I don't like the sound effects. I don't like the music. Um, and another thing I don't like, going all the way back to uh, the audiobook for uh, Snow Crash, which is one of the early audiobooks, right? Mm-hmm. That one has... That, that one had a narrator that had a really sort of almost like a smarmy sound to his voice. There's this weird sort of like I'm trying to be cool because the characters are cool in that book. But the thing that was really jarring is there's no sound effects in the in the chapter. Mm-hmm. But then the chapter breaks. Chapter four will have like, you know, and then because uh, that's silly. I hate that. I hate when the chapter sec- uh, parts, the chapter headers have sound and you know what i do love what oh go ahead go ahead i was just gonna say on snow crash what makes it worse is uh babel has a strong thematic component to that book right and so every single one has like you hear that Uh, in the background and it just it's a brain worm anyway yeah that's weird yeah they um so i i downloaded a bunch of books um from a website that i'm like a pre-reader on so they give you like ebooks to read before they're released and that kind of thing and they have this weird like back catalog that you can access and they had all these audiobooks and i was like oh sweet i'll download all these sweet audiobooks five of them so far that i've listened to have had the this is cassette one please turn oh. two and i love it i like that too <laughs> Luscious like Jackson. If I ever do an audiobook, I'm going to do that every time. <laughs> do you know who Luscious Jackson are? Uh, no. They were a uh, band. They were the first band that Beastie Boys signed on their label. Okay. So it's uh, a female group, and they oh, kind of okay. were all over the. They kind of pop, and they had a little street thing going on. But the um, halfway through their album, there's this audio clip of someone saying. Now get ready for side two, and then it starts the second half of the album. It's a CD, right? So. Right. And I assume on the vinyl, of course, it works too. But I mean, I've always, right. I've always loved that imagery, even when it's uh, an anachronism like that. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> but pressing play on tape is pretty rad. Turn a cassette over. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, this is, this has been a, a somewhat succinct but fun uh, little recap. Ep, and uh, I think probably the next time we talk, we'll be have we'll be in the fallout of episode yeah. three. There will be tears and. We'll just be, yes, we'll just be rocking what? back and forth in our seats. Uh. <laughs> in fact, in fact, if we really oh. dial it in, it'll be that and then Endgame and then we record. So we'll just be like, uh. yeah, it might be actually. Yeah. <laughs> oh, let me give one Endgame shout out, which I love the uh, the red carpet looks. Yes. Specifically, that Brie Larson and Scarlett uh, Johansson had these really sassy gowns like like sort of neutral color gowns with tans on and then they had these rockin stacked rings of infinity stones so clever and, and bracelets and stuff i mean they look so good i loved it if they don't sell a shit ton of infinity stone rings i don't know what they're doing right yeah like whoever designed that that that's something that anybody else is missing out on <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely all right man well i'll let you go uh Right back to your, get back to your ways and means. I'm going to go get into a room that's less than 85 degrees. I'm going to take <laughs> shelter in the in the cool comfort of my 80 degree house right now. You're going to go lounge in the hot tub because it's cooler than the outside. 
You know, I, you know what came today that I just put in the backyard? My fire pit. It's <laughs> 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 like not uh, useful. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't remember Northern California being that hot back in the day, man. <laughs> well, we've we've broken the earth, so that's part of it. Madness. Editorial. All right. <laughs> I'll talk to you soon, buddy. Right on. Have a good night. You too.